Hey, welcome back to Everyday Economics, the podcast that helps you learn about the economic world happening around you every day. I'm your host, Chris Krug, president of 501c3 nonprofit, nonpartisan Franklin News Foundation. Everyday Economics is a production of America's Talking Network. You can check out all of our great podcasts at americastalking.com. We are recording this episode on Monday, May 15th. And joining me as always, Dr. Orfe Devangi. He's a PhD economist. Dr. O, this is a conversation that you and I have been wanting to have for a while. We talked about it, and, and I think it's, it kind of makes sense with the U.S. policy change from Title 42 to Title 8 with regard to immigration, the details of which we can get into or save for a later time. We wanted to talk about the economics of immigration. And first of all, the politicizing immigration, it's like the thing right now. We're a nation of immigrants, right? My father's family settled in the North, fought in the Civil War for the North. My mother's family came to the United States, you know, almost exclusively from Lithuania. They didn't come until just about 1900. So the Irish and the Germans in my family came, you know, in the 1830s. And then the Lithuanians in my family started coming to the country in late 1800s. Let's add another stat here. The foreign-born population has grown rapidly in recent decades rising from less than 5% of the U.S. population in 1970 to 13% in 2013. And that number has increased since a lot. I'm here from another country and uh, just enjoying uh, this beautiful life that America can afford. We would like to welcome you in as a citizen. I, you know, in my view, I mean, you're somebody that would absolutely benefit these United States. And we'd love that. We'd love to have you and your family. But here. you know what? Let's actually explain that. Let's explain to our audience why immigration is so key to the U.S. economy. Let's get into the economic side of it. So, I mean, the United States is aging. There's no doubt about that. And with more college-educated women, families are starting later, and in some cases, not at all, which is kind of an interesting factor, not just here. I mean, years ago, it, you know, when I was traveling in South America, I was hearing this from people in, in Brazil and in Chile, where it was actually really a, a significant problem that the population was aging. Same deal in Japan. Same deal, frankly, in Korea. So what's happening here in the United States is not unique. I mean, in Italy, they're giving away homes for like literally giving away the home because they were not having children. The implications are, are, are unbelievable. I mean, look, it, it, just people. We have a people problem, right? It's fascinating that the same people who complain about, you know, we talk about out migration and say, hey, you know, you have people leaving one state to go to another. It's the demise of the state that's losing people. Don't really realize that, and and by the way, to the benefit of the state that's gaining people, don't realize that having people come in this country works the same way, that the more people we have, the better, the better off we are. It helps to stimulate the economy. It's potential demand. It's it's also supply, which grows economic output and improves living standards. I think a lot of people, the misconception is that immigrants compete with natives and thus may have a, a, a negative impact on wages of native workers. And that's just been debunked. It's absolutely nonsense. In fact, the reality is, you know, let's just give, let me just give you a very simple and clear example. You know, even for low-skilled workers, by the way, we're, I'm not just talking about like high-skilled Albert Einstein coming to this country and Elon Musk. I'm not even just, I'm not talking about these super productive star smart scientists and entrepreneurs. I'm talking about even low-skilled cleaners 
coming into this country and landscapers coming into this country. You know, the reality is that you know, it used to be that women used to spend more time doing household work than men. As a result of that, fewer women actually went ahead and got into the labor force, you know, went to earn a, a wage, right? And the gender gap used to be massive back in the day. But look, there was a, a an increase in the technology that, you know, the microwave, the you know, all those things that helped dishwashers and all that. But there's also the fact that immigrant women, low-skilled immigrant women that came into this country started providing household services that actually also helped to free American women from the burden of how doing household work. And so over time, we saw a massive increase in female labor force participation and a decrease in the, in, in the female gender gap, in, in the male-female gender gap, right? And so like we see these things and, 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 and immigrants contributed to that, right? We see the surge in college completion of American workers and the returns to education. Part of that is, is because we had people in this country to do, to take the time to do the work that we didn't want to do. Let's be honest, okay? The work that we didn't want to do. You know, today, you know, you have people mowing your lawn. And, uh, and if you talk to most business owners and they'll tell you, oh, you know, we're struggling with finding service sector workers. We have uh, supply shortages. It's hurting our businesses. Well, look, you know, there's an easy source of workers to alleviate that problem. It's, there's a ton of young migrants that are willing to do those jobs that Americans simply don't want to do anymore. We have a ton of service sector inflation with wage growth still at a level that's not sustainable with the Fed's 2% inflation target. And yes, if we had that inflow of immigrants, that would actually, that might actually help to alleviate some of these shortages. And by the way, when those workers come in, it makes the rest of us more productive. Anyway, that's the impact of immigration on the labor market, on the U.S. economy as a whole. I think where this is bumpy is frankly in the how. Here in Chicago, I mean, there have been hundreds of migrants who have been bust from the southern border. There's a pretty big fight going on, specifically on the south side, where the amenities that are being offered to the migrants are, frankly, enhanced, more specific and more intentional than the opportunities there are for people who are homeless here already, who are, you know, indigent, you know, here already. And the economics of that, I mean, that's where I think, you know, most Americans in this moment are trying to make sense of the cost of this. Because when you start to see these numbers, so this is from a story from WLS television from this past week. And I'm quoting from the story. The city has officially declared a state of emergency, right? I mean, that, and that's been ongoing, right? Chicago has taken in more than 8,000 migrants since August. More than 200 a day have flooded to the city. So they're taking care of these people who are unable to take care of themselves. The cost of that, the burden of the of the expense of that, I think is really taking the forefront. We can have this conversation about immigration and whether it's a good thing for the United States. I mean, obviously, economically, I think it is. We need more workers. We need more people who are willing to work. Jobs are not being taken away from anybody. There's been help wanted signs everywhere. 
That's right. Ton of excess job openings. That's right. But the way that this is occurring and the cost that's being borne by American taxpayers right now to make the Biden plan, and I'm giving him credit and saying that this is a plan, that there's intentionality here, right? That's what's vexing. Could you make sense of that? It's a big No, big no. Ask. Look, you know, I, I remember, you know, as a kid, you know, when whenever my parents had guests over, they always wanted to give them the absolute best. That was just kind of the thing, you know, like you have a guest over, you treat your guest like a member of the family, if not better. You know, I think that's what's happening. You know, it might be a little bit short term thinking because the economic gains outweigh the cost. That's the reality. Now, of course, there is a bit of a mess and the mess comes from the fact that our laws are antiquated, you know, that, that the mess that we are in today is because we have these really bad laws in the books. And so fixing the laws is, I think, where we need to go with this conversation. I think that our elected officials, Congress needs to legislate and fix broken laws that are in the books What do we think that a a wall at the border does? What do we think that tough immigration policies actually do? I'll tell you what they do. Raising the barrier to entry actually causes people who come here to stay here under any circumstance because they understand that it becomes even more difficult to return. So once they come in, they end up staying, even if the, the labor market had cooled and even if they were not in a position to take care of themselves, they end up coming in and being forced to stay because they've paid a high cost to, to come here. And the barrier to entry is so high that it's impossible for them to return to their home country, either permanently or just to visit family, because they know it's going to be impossible to return. It will cause the stock of immigrants in the United States to increase even faster because they'll end up staying, you know, even if they don't have the job, et cetera, et cetera. And so we need to change the laws. We need to understand, we need Congress to spend a little bit of time learning about the economics of immigration and to legislate and fix these broken laws so that we can have the most productive migrants and a thriving economy. I don't know that we can do this subject justice in in one episode. The United States couldn't fix immigration over the last hundred years. I don't think you and I are going to be able to fix it in 10 minutes or less. For F.A.D. Vongi, this has been Chris Krug, subscribed to Everyday Economics and dozens of other quality podcasts at americastalking.com.